Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, Real Paranormal Activity is proud to present Terry's Mysterious Moments. Welcome to Terry's Mysterious Moments, Season 3. Thank you for joining me on this journey into the odd, the weird, the strange. Hope you'll enjoy it. Now, on with the show. Good evening, everybody. This is Terry from Texas with another episode of Terry's Mysterious Moments. I want to jump right into the stories. We've got a lot to cover tonight. The Duc de Danzig was a brig launched in 1808 at Nantes, France, that became a privateer. She captured a number of vessels, generally plundering them and then letting them go or burning them. She disappeared mysteriously in the Caribbean in early 1812 and became the subject of a ghost ship legend. On February 12, 1808, under Pierre-Francois Bachelin, Duke de Danzig took part in the capture of William and Henry. Lloyd's List, which is a listing of ships and ship-related subjects, reported that William and Henry was sailing from London to the Cape of Good Hope in South Africa with a cargo worth 700,000 francs when she was driven into Le Havre with the loss of her mizzenmast and bowsprit. Duke de Danzig took possession of William and Henry the next day. At some point, she was under command of Jean-Pierre Antoine Duchesne. That there seemed to be no reports of captures after the first until 1811 suggests that prior to October 10th, she may have simply sailed as a letter of marque rather than a private man of war. In October 1810, Francois Aregnado assumed command of Duke de Danzig, and on November 20th, he captured Ceres. On 4th of December, the British Bonetta, and a few days later, the American Canton and the British Jane. She brought Jane into Charleston on February 6, 1811. Jane had been sailing from Savannah to Liverpool when she was captured. Jane returned to St. Kitts on 6 of February. Duke de Danzig had captured Jane on 18 of November, 1810 off Anagata, plundered her and let her proceed as Jane was sailing from St. Kitts to Newburn. On 22nd July, Duke de Danzig captured the merchantman Lady Penryn while Lady Penryn was sailing from London to Grenada. Duke de Danzig set Lady Penryn on fire, scuttling her. Lloyd's List reported that the privateer Duke de Danzig of 14 guns, which were 18-pounder carronades, and 128 men of Nantes 
had captured the Thames on July 17th and the Lady Penryn on 22nd of July. Thames had been sailing from London to St. Vincent's. Both vessels were in ballast, and Duke de Danzig burnt them after taking off the people on board. She then captured the schooner Anne, which had set out from Barbados to Demerara. Duke de Danzig put her prisoners aboard Anne and let her proceed. Anne arrived at Barbados on 26th of July. Damaged by a heavy sea, Duke de Danzig had to throw her guns overboard to remain afloat and return to harbor. She set sail again on 18 June, 1811. The Barossa arrived at Jamaica on 23rd of July. On 29th of June, as she was sailing from Cork, she had encountered the privateer Duke de Danzig off Ushant. Duke de Danzig, of 10 guns and 176 men, had plundered Barossa and thrown her guns overboard, then let her proceed. Duke de Danzig had captured a Spanish ship and an English packet three days earlier. On 28th of August, Duke de Danzig arrived in New York with a British prize that the U.S. government seized. By October 1811, Aregnado had captured Planter from London, Tottenham, and a Spanish schooner. On September 1st, Duke de Danzig captured Tobago off St. Bartholomew's. Tobago was sailing from Guadeloupe and St. Bartholomew's to New Brunswick when Duke de Danzig captured and burnt her. Rover arrived at St. John, New Brunswick on 23rd June, 1812. On 2nd June, Duke de Danzig had captured Rover, plundered her, and then let her proceed. Arignado and Duke de Danzig were last heard of on 13 December 1811, when the privateer Gazelle reached Morlaix and reported on her activities. After the last mention of her, Duke de Danzig disappeared without a trace. She might have been cruising in the Atlantic or in the Caribbean at the time, and either been destroyed in a night encounter against a British frigate or in a tropical cyclone. Napoleon Galois later relayed the legend that an unspecified French frigate had encountered the wreck of Duke de Danzig drifting at sea, covered with dried blood and the putrefying corpses of her crew, many crucified to the masts or the deck. There were no signs that she had been in a recent battle, no new shot holes, and her sails and rigging were intact. Some blood-stained papers found in the captain's cabin identified her captain as Francois Aregnado. The crew of the frigate set the brig ablaze. There are those that think that the hunter became the hunted when it was out on the open ocean. An enemy ship sighted her and went after her and she was destroyed. Wouldn't it be neat if ships had a cloaking device like they have in Star Trek during wartime? Not during peacetime, because who needs it during peacetime, but during wartime when enemy ships, particularly submarines, are under the water and they can see you, but you can't really see them. What if you could disappear? Rumor has it, and stories have circulated for decades now, that the U.S. Navy attempted to make ships disappear in World War II. Of course, I'm talking about the USS Eldridge and the Philadelphia experiment. 
USS Eldridge, DE-173, a cannon-class destroyer escort, was a ship of the U.S. Navy named for Lieutenant Commander John Eldridge, Jr., a hero of the invasion of the Solomon Islands. Eldridge was born in Buckingham County, Virginia, on October 10, 1903, and graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy in 1927. After flight training at Pensacola, Florida, he served at various stations on aviation duty. From September 11, 1941, he was a commander, Scouting Squadron 71, attached to the WASP, CV-7. Lieutenant Commander Eldridge was killed in action in the Solomon Islands on 2 November 1942 for his extraordinary heroism in leading the air attack on Japanese positions in the initial invasion of the Solomons on August 7th and August 8th of 1942. He was posthumously awarded the Navy Cross. The keel of the Eldridge was laid down 22nd February of 1943 by the Federal Shipbuilding and Dry Dock Company in Newark, New Jersey. Eldridge was launched on 25 July 1943, sponsored by Lieutenant Commander Eldridge's widow, Mrs. John Eldridge Jr., and commissioned on August 27, 1943, with Lieutenant C.R. Hamilton, United States Navy Reserve, in command. Between January 4, 1944 and May 9, 1945, Eldridge sailed on the vital task of escorting to the Mediterranean Sea, men and materials to support Allied operations in North Africa and on into Southern Europe. She made nine voyages to deliver convoys safely to Casablanca, Bizerte, and Oran. The Eldridge departed New York City on 28 May of 1945 for service in the Pacific. En route to Saipan in July, she made contact with an underwater object and immediately attacked, but no results were observed. She arrived at Okinawa on August 7th for local escort and patrol, and with the end of hostilities a week later, continued to serve as escort on the Saipan Ulithi Okinawa routes until November. Eldridge was placed out of commission in reserve on 17 June 1946. On January 15, 1951, she was transferred under the Mutual Defense Assistance Act to Greece, where she served as the Leon D-54. Leon was decommissioned on November 5, 1992, and on 11 November 1999 was sold as scrap to the Piraeus-based firm V&J Scrap Metal Trading Limited. Ignominious end to a valiant ship. The Philadelphia Experiment was a purported naval experiment at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, sometime around October 28th of 1943. Cute that it kind of coincided with Halloween in which the Eldridge was to be rendered invisible by a cloaking device to human observers for a brief period. The story, though, is widely regarded as a hoax. The U.S. Navy destroyer escort U.S. Eldridge was claimed to have been rendered invisible or cloaked to enemy devices. 
The story first appeared in 1955 in letters of unknown origin sent to a writer and astronomer, Morris K. Jessup. It is widely understood to be a hoax. The U.S. Navy maintains that no such experiment was ever conducted and that the details of the story contradict well-established facts about the USS Eldridge and that the alleged claims do not conform to known physical laws. In 1955, this astronomer and UFO researcher, Morris K. Jessup, the author of the just-published book, The Case for the UFO, about unidentified flying objects and the exotic means of propulsion they might use, received two letters from a Carlos Miguel Allende, who also identified himself as Carl M. Allen in other correspondence, who claimed to have witnessed a secret World War II experiment at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard. In this experiment, Allende claimed the destroyer escort USS Eldridge was rendered invisible, teleported to New York, teleported to another dimension where it encountered aliens, and teleported through time, resulting in the deaths of several sailors, some of whom were fused with the ship's hull. Jessup dismissed Allende as a crackpot. In early 1957, Jessup was contacted by the Office of Naval Research, hereafter known as the ONR, in Washington, D.C., who had received a parcel containing a paperback copy of The Case for the UFO in a manila envelope marked Happy Easter. The book had been extensively annotated in its margins, written with three different shades of pink ink, appearing to detail a correspondence among three individuals, only one of whom is given a name, J-E-M-I. The ONR labeled the other two Mr. A and Mr. B. Creative. The annotators referred to each other as gypsies and discussed two different types of people living in outer space. Their text contained non-standard use of capitalization and punctuation and detailed a lengthy discussion on the merits of various elements of Jessup's assumptions in the book. There were oblique references to the Philadelphia experiment. One example is that Mr. B reassures his fellow annotators who have highlighted a certain theory which Jessup advanced. Based on the handwriting style and subject matter, Jessup concluded that a large part of the writing was Allende's and others have the same conclusion, that the three styles of annotations are from the same person using three pens. The ONR funded a small printing of 100 copies of the volume by the Texas-based Vero Manufacturing Company, which later became known as the Vero Edition, with the annotations therefore known as the Vero Annotations. Jessup tried to publish more books on the subject of UFOs, but was unsuccessful. Losing his publisher and experiencing a succession of downturns in his personal life led him to commit suicide in Florida on April 30, 1959. In 1963, Vincent Gaddis published a book of Fortiana titled Invisible Horizons, True Mysteries of the Sea. In it, he recounted the story of the experiment from the Vero Annotations. George Simpson and Neil Berger published a 1978 novel titled Thin Air. In this book, set in the present day, a Naval Investigative Services officer investigates several threads linking wartime invisibility experiments 
to a conspiracy involving matter transmission technology. Large-scale popularization of the story came about in 1979 when the author, Charles Berlitz, who had written a best-selling book on the Bermuda Triangle and his co-author, ufologist William L. Moore, published The Philadelphia Experiment, Project Invisibility, which purported to be a factual account. The book expanded on stories of bizarre happenings, lost unified field theories by Albert Einstein, and government cover-ups, all based on the Allende Allen letters to Jessup. Moore and Berlitz devoted one of the last chapters in the Philadelphia Experiment, Project Invisibility, to the force fields of Townsend Brown, namely the experimenter and then U.S. Navy technician Thomas Townsend Brown. Paul LaViolette's 2008 book, Secrets of Anti-Gravity Propulsion, also recounts some mysterious involvement of Townsend Brown. The story was adapted into a 1984 time travel film called Philadelphia Experiment, directed by Stuart Raffle. Although only loosely based on the prior accounts of the experiment, it served to dramatize the core elements of the original story. In 1990, Alfred Bialik, a self-proclaimed former crew member of the USS Eldridge and an alleged participant in the experiment, supported the version as it was portrayed in the film. He added details of his claims through the internet, some of which were picked up by mainstream news outlets. There's a note here. Several different and sometimes contradictory versions of the alleged experiments have circulated over the years. The following synopsis recounts key story points common to most accounts. The experiment was allegedly based on an aspect of some unified field theory, a term coined by Albert Einstein to describe a class of potential theories. Such theories would aim to describe, mathematically and physically, the interrelated nature of the forces of electromagnetism and gravity. In other words, uniting their respective fields into a single field. According to some accounts, unspecified researchers thought that some version of this field would enable large electrical generators to bend light around an object via refraction so that the object became completely invisible. The Navy regarded this of military value and it sponsored the experiment. Another unattributed version of the story proposes that researchers were preparing magnetic and gravitational measurements of the seafloor to detect anomalies supposedly based on Einstein's attempts to understand gravity. In this version, there were also related secret experiments in Nazi Germany to find anti-gravity, allegedly led by SS Obergruppenführer Hans Kammler. There are no reliable, attributable accounts, but in most accounts of the supposed experiment, USS Eldridge was fitted with the required equipment at the Philadelphia shipyard. Testing began in the summer of 1943 and it was supposedly successful to a limited extent. One test resulted in Eldridge being rendered nearly invisible with some witnesses reporting a greenish fog appearing in its place. Crew members complained of severe nausea afterwards. Also reportedly when the ship reappeared, some sailors were embedded in the metal structures of the ship, including one sailor who ended up on a deck level below that where he began, 
and had his hand embedded in the steel hull of the ship, as well as some sailors who went, quote, completely bananas, unquote. There is also a claim that the experiment was altered after that point at the request of the Navy, limiting it to creating a stealth technology that would render Eldridge invisible to radar. None of these allegations have been independently substantiated. The conjecture then claims that the equipment was not properly recalibrated, but that in spite of this, the experiment was repeated on October 28th of 1943. This time, Eldridge not only became invisible, but it disappeared from the area in a flash of blue light and was teleported to Norfolk, Virginia, over 200 miles away. It's claimed that the Eldridge sat for some time in view of men aboard the ship SS Andrew Feruseth, whereupon Eldridge vanished and then reappeared in Philadelphia at the site it originally occupied. It was also said that the warship went approximately 10 minutes back in time. Many versions of the tale include descriptions of serious side effects for the crew. Some crew members were said to have been physically fused to bulkheads, while others suffered from mental disorders, some rematerialized inside out, and still others vanished. It's also claimed that the ship's crew may have been subjected to brainwashing to maintain the secrecy of the experiment. The historian Mike Dash notes that many authors who publicized the Philadelphia Experiment story after that of Jessup appeared to have conducted little or no research on their own. Through the late 1970s, for example, Allende or Allen was often described as mysterious and difficult to locate, but Gorman determined Allende Allen's identity after only a few telephone calls. Others speculate that much of the key literature emphasizes dramatic embellishment rather than pertinent research. Berlitz's and Moore's account of the story, which, as I've said, was the Philadelphia Experiment Project Invisibility, claim to include factual information, such as transcripts of an interview with a scientist involved in the experiment. But their work has also been criticized for plagiarizing key story elements from the novel Thin Air, which was published a year earlier. Personnel at the 4th Naval District have suggested that the alleged event was a misunderstanding of routine research during World War II at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard. An earlier theory was that the foundation for the apocryphal stories arose from degaussing experiments, which have the effect of making a ship undetectable or invisible to magnetic mines. Another possible origin of the stories about levitation, teleportation, and effects on human crew might be attributed to experiments within the generating plant of the destroyer USS Timmerman, DD-828, whereby a higher frequency generator produced corona discharges, although none of the crew reported suffering effects from the experiment. Observers have argued that it is inappropriate to grant credence to an unusual story promoted by one individual in the absence of corroborating evidence. Robert Gorman wrote in Fate magazine in 1980 that Carlos Allende, or Carl Allen, who is said to have corresponded with Jessup, was Carl Meredith Allen of New Kensington, Pennsylvania, who had an established history of psychiatric illness and who may have fabricated the primary history of the experiment as a result of his mental illness. 
Gorman later realized that Allen was a family friend and a creative and imaginative loner sending bizarre writings and claims. The USS Eldridge was not commissioned until August 27th of 1943, and it remained in port in New York City until September of 1943. The October experiment allegedly took place while the ship was on its first shakedown cruise in the Bahamas, although proponents of the story claim that the ship's logs might have been falsified or else still be classified. The ONR stated in 1996 that we, the ONR, have never conducted investigations on radar invisibility, either in 1943 or at any other time, pointing out that the ONR was not established until 1946. It denounces the accounts of the Philadelphia experiment as complete science fiction. A reunion of Navy veterans who had served aboard USS Eldridge told a Philadelphia newspaper in April 1999 that their ship had never made port in Philadelphia. Further evidence discounting the Philadelphia experiment timeline comes from USS Eldridge's complete World War II action report, including the remarks section of the 1943 deck log available on microfilm. Researcher Jock Valley describes a procedure on board USS Engstrom, which was docked alongside the Eldridge in 1943. The operation involved the generation of a powerful electromagnetic field on board the ship in order to deperm or degauss it, with the goal of rendering the ship undetectable or invisible to magnetically fused undersea mines and torpedoes. British ships of the era often included such degaussing systems built into the upper decks. The conduits are still visible on the deck of HMS Belfast in London, for example. Degaussing is still used today. However, it has no effect on visible light or radar. Valley speculates that accounts of USS Engstrom's degaussing might have been garbled and confabulated in subsequent retellings, and that these accounts may have influenced the story of the Philadelphia experiment. Valley cites a veteran who served on board USS Engstrom and who suggests it might have traveled from Philadelphia to Norfolk and back again in a single day at a time when merchant ships could not. They did it by use of the Chesapeake and Delaware Canal and Chesapeake Bay, which at that time was open only to naval vessels. Use of that channel was kept quiet. German submarines had ravaged shipping along the east coast during Operation Drumbeat and thus military ships unable to protect themselves were secretly moved via canals to avoid the threat. The same veteran claims to be the man that Allende witnessed disappearing at a bar. He claims that when the fight broke out, friendly barmaids whisked him out of the bar before the police got there because he was underage to drink. They then covered for him by claiming he had just disappeared. So there you have it. A couple of strange ships, one that did everything it said it did and paid the price, and another one that didn't do anything it said it did. Well, that's the show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. I thank you for being along for the ride, and be with me next week as we come back with another story or another group of stories for Terry's Mysterious Moments. I want to remind you that 
on Mondays, Aaron Hunter brings you Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast, which is listener stories that Aaron tells, mostly ghost stories. And on Tuesdays, we have Aaron Frail with Aaron's Horror Show, where he reviews horror movies, different books, uh, things that he's written. And on Wednesdays, it's me, Terry's Mysterious Moments, with me, Terry from Texas, where we cover just about anything you can think of. And on alternating Thursdays, or every other Thursday, however you want to look at that, we have Patrick Sean Jones with The Sandman Lullaby. We also have video productions on the first Friday of the month from Full Dark Productions, from The Witching Hour, and from Unexplained Cases. Also remember that you can go to your app store, whether you have an Apple or an Android. You can go to your app store, look for the RPA app. It's a black square with a blue eye right in the middle of it. You can't miss it. And you can download that app, install it into the device you listen to the programs on, and that way you will not have to go looking for the programs. They'll be right there. Do that. It'll be a lot easier for you to get to the stories. That's about it. I hope everybody has a good week. Thanks for being here. Bye-bye.